Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. There are fixtures at almost every sporting event that you go to, on the gridiron, the baseball diamond, and in the gym, the scoreboards. And there's one man from the 19th century that's responsible for most of the design, including that of the gridiron. Timothy P. Brown of footballarchaeology.com joins us to tell us about the Irwin scoreboards and Arthur Irwin, its founder, coming up right after this. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history. And welcome to another evening where we get to be honored with the presence of Timothy P. Brown of footballarchaeology.com. Tim, welcome back to the Pigpen. Hey, thanks, Darren. Uh, And the honor is all mine. All mine, sir. No, no, it's, it's myself and the listeners. We get this uh, weekly treat where you reminisce about a, a piece that you've wrote recently and your daily tidbits, and uh, we get to talk to you about it, pick your brain, and and uh, learn a, something new about football history. And tonight we're going to go up on the scoreboard and uh, learn a little bit about, about that and uh, some association with another sport. Then uh, I'll let you uh, talk about this gentleman and uh, his invention. Yeah, so this is uh, one that, actually one of my favorite stories in a while uh largely because this is one where like i just really learned something (laughs) you know Mm. and it's one of those where you know i i don't know i'm you know i've probably put in 20 30 40 hours of research in the past on maybe more you know on a couple of different topics related to early scoreboards and game simulations and things like that and I had always seen them as kind of three separate things floating around, you know, in the ether uh, that, that weren't connected. And then for some reason I was, you know, checking into, you know, doing another dig on scoreboards and I came across a mention of the Irwin scoreboard, which if I'd seen it before, I don't remember it. So I dig into that and all of a sudden it's like, everything makes sense. And everything is connected, you know, so it, it was just like this great uh, revelation for me. Um, so, I mean, the story is that there's this guy, uh, Arthur Irwin, who, you know, perhaps uh, people who are into old time baseball would would know because he played like 13 years in the in the majors. The latter part of his playing career, he was also he was a player manager. And then he, you know, once he was done playing, he continued managing. So there was a point in his career where he's managing the Phillies. And as was the case back then, you know, baseball players needed jobs after the season. So 
being an athlete, um, he ended up getting a job as a trainer at Penn, you know, University of Pennsylvania. So, you know, back then the trainers were like the, you know, they they were the guys who would physically condition athletes across sports. They were the guys who would diagnose, you know, they didn't have sports medicine per se back, back then. So they were the guys who'd figure out how to resolve a Charlie horse or whatever it was, you know, how to, you know, fix a sprain, tape them up. Uh, so that was his role. But while he's there, he ends up um, designing and building a scoreboard. And I think it was actually before they had Franklin Field. But, you know, he builds a scoreboard for, um, you know, for Penn. Because prior to that, everybody used baseball scoreboards, you know, if they were in a baseball stadium or they didn't didn't have any scoreboards. So he builds this thing. And it's got the rudiments of what scoreboards have today you know down in distance um you know it, it said who had the ball you know who was in possession it had a little thing up at the top a little kind of a, a football field graphic that they'd move this football along you know as the team progressed on the field so things like that then he ends up patenting it so you know there's drawings on his patent application that shows this uh you know shows this um the format of his scoreboard. And then I found a couple of early photographs of his scoreboards, you know, up, up there on, on the on fields. And it looks, you know, just like his patent application. So then what happens is, you know, he basically, he builds a business. Well, he builds multiple scoreboards and, you know, in some cases permanently ins installs them in locations. And in other cases, like he moves them around, you know, they're, they're like the Goodyear blimp. They show up at different places. Uh, but, you know, he's hired to do it. And then he has people, he staffs the operation when a, a scoreboard is being used. And and in the course of all that, you know, they had to develop a system. Of, you know, they didn't have really tele telephones on the field and they didn't have walkie-talkies or, you know, those mm -hmm. kinds of things. So they developed this kind of signal system, what back in the day they would call wigwagging. Um, so a guy or two on the field would follow the plays and you you know use these contortions some something similar to the semaphore flags of you know in the military or like referee signals you know they contorted their bodies or they spelled out letters and they would you know essentially communicate to the guys operating the scoreboard the down and distance who, who had substituted in whatever information that they had um and so, you know, it became this thing that, you know, for the big games in the East, you pretty much, you know, it was an, it became an expectation. You have an Irwin scoreboard up there and everybody knew what Irwin scoreboard was. Um, so when they, um, when they built Harvard stadium, then I think they built, you know, I've never gotten a, I've got one image that isn't too great of, of uh, an early scoreboard there. So, you know, it, I think it was an advanced version of, of an Irwin scoreboard, but he ends up hiring a guy who, his name was Eddie Morris. He ends up being the wigwagger. You know, he had a red sweater that he always wore and a white hat. And for like 20 years, everybody at Harvard Stadium knew this guy was following along. Sometimes he'd be out on the field doing his signals uh, up to the guys in the box or up, up on the scoreboard. And so he became like, it's like before mascots, he became like one of the mascots, you know, something <laughs> like that. Um, and so anyways, you know, then then they also started like at Harvard, you know, he would signal in 
like who made the tackle, who ran the ball, those kinds of things. And so they were selling, you know, they sold scorecards that had the number of each of the players. Now, the players didn't wear the numbers, but there was a number in the scorecard for Smith and Jones. And then if Smith made the tackle and Jones made the run, they'd signal that and they'd post those number, the correspond, corresponding numbers up on the scoreboard. So it was just a way to, uh, you know, for the people in the stance to kind of know who the heck was who because nobody wore numbers and they all looked the same and, you know, whatever. And they're just running in these mushes. You know, that was the nature of football at the time. Um, so then eventually, you know, then later on, obviously they added numbers to the players, uh, you know, on their jerseys. Um, the other thing that he did um, was they would do the Irwin scoreboards at uh, in the in gymnasiums or in theaters. So they do it especially for an away game. And they'd get connected by telephone or telegraph. And um, then, so it became a thing where, you know, you'd pay some money, go to the theater, and you could watch the game as a simulation based on what was happening down in Philadelphia, you know, if you were in Boston. Um, and they even did it, like, in Boston, they'd do games at Harvard, because you know, for the big game, like a, the Princeton and Yale games, those would sell out. And so people who couldn't get into the game would go to the theater to watch the simulation. <laughs> you know? yeah. And then, so, I mean, it's just kind of crazy stuff like that. Now that, that image you have from 1893 and uh, so I mean, listeners, you can go to the, the show notes and we have a link that'll take you right to Tim's article and you can, you can see this uh, image and it's sort of like a, a sketch of what uh, yeah. uh, the, intention of what the board should be for 1893 but they it's really interesting because at the top like you said earlier they've got a thing called field board and it's got an image of a football that sort of slides down and the points of the ball indicate what yard line i guess the the ball is on mm -hmm. for the for the next uh down yeah. and it almost uh reminds me of like the modern day if you're watching an nfl game and you follow on nfl.com or cbs.com and you want to know real play because you can't watch a game or whatever you're you know yeah. your wife makes you go shopping or something uh you're you can see you know where the the plays are going so it's kind of interesting you know 130 some years ago that the, the similar technology started then so that's that's really cool yeah yeah from a representation so and that image is is right from his. It's just the front page of his his patent, um, uh, you know, documents. So yeah, I mean, fundamentally, you know, everything that he had listed on on his early thing is right there. You know, so and like you said, you know, I, I mean, I do that where I'm like I'm watching one game and I got another one on my computer that I'm just you know tracking the uh, the progress of the game, right? So right. <laughs> yeah de definitely very cool so, so now yeah. the other thing that's really that's pretty bizarre about this guy is that he ends up you know so at the time you know he, i mean he was a ball player so he was traveling a lot of the year and then he would um you know when he's doing these scoreboards he's traveling basically on the east coast and at one point he was diagnosed i don't know if he was formally diagnosed with cancer but basically he was told you know, you don't have long to live. And so he gets on a boat and going from New York to Boston and 
fell overboard or just jumped in the water to end it. And so he, he dies. And then as they're trying to settle his estate, um, turns out that, you know, kind of came up that he had a wife in New York and another one in Boston. So, <laughs> um, you know, with children on it. Well, in no Boston. wonder he had to keep score. He had to know what was yeah. going on. <laughs> yeah. He needed to make some cash. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyways, I mean, it's, it's a sad, a sad end, but uh, yeah, I mean, so just kind of a bizarre ending to a, a pretty wild story but you know for me it just brought together the, the simulation so i mean i now believe his was his you know erwin scoreboard were the first simulations um he was the designer of the first football specific scoreboard and then you know i'd always made a big deal out of the harvard stadium sport and their wigwag system and then i you know now kind of understand that he was the one behind that and that his his stuff was around you know 10 years earlier um you know maybe not as quite sophisticated form but nevertheless uh definitely very interesting and it's uh, it's great the that you see the especially that image from 1893 and the similarities to our modern scoreboards still carry on the tradition of what he started it's just uh fascinating and a great testament great idea he had it was pretty brilliant so great yeah. story tim uh appreciate that you're sharing that with us like you, you do every day on your uh, tidbits that you have from footballarchaeology.com and maybe uh, you could share with the listeners how they too could uh, get into on the tidbits yeah so ideally you go to www.footballarchaeology.com and subscribe and you'll get an email every every evening seven o'clock eastern with you know just basically it got the contents of, of that uh of that uh, night's story. Um, you can also you just bookmark it and, you know, go whenever you want. Um, I also post, um, I post links on uh, Twitter and on um, threads, as well as on the, the Substack app, because my, you know, my site, I've got my own name for it, but it's, uh, it, it's actually a Substack, you know, application. So those are the ways to get there and, you know, have at it. Yeah. And I uh, help you keep score on the scoreboard each and every night. So, yes. Yes. so I do. <laughs> well, we definitely appreciate uh, you sharing the story and uh, bringing some of this uh, football antiquity uh, to us, to our modern day and uh, making it relevant again and uh, carrying on and letting us know the name of Arthur Irwin and uh, his great idea that he had and uh, some well, great stories from him too. I also forgot to mention he was the first non-catcher, non-first baseman to wear a glove in the major leagues, and so Spalding then sold the Irwin glove, you know, throughout the eighteen nineties and early aughts. So I forgot to mention that, but that's that's another. You know, he's he's a big deal in baseball. Yeah, wow, definitely all around sports. Uh, we can all thank him for the sports that we watch. So. Wow, some great stuff, Tim. We appreciate it, and uh, we will we'll talk to you again next week. Okay, thanks, Darren. All right, bye-bye. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast.
we invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, as well as Jersey Dispatch, on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network.